Dr. Martin Luther King had a dream. His life was driven by that dream. You and I have a dream. And our lives are driven by that, that, by that dream. Our idea or picture of the kind of future we want to live into. Uh, an online magazine uh, published a question a number of years ago. And I want to ask you the same question. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? Because whatever those six words are is a summary of where you are in the pursuit of your dream. In fact, when that online magazine asked that question, that was flooded with so many responses that they decided to produce a book for it. And what the title of the book was one of the six word responses. And it was, not quite what I was planning. Here's some of the other responses. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. It's written by a nine-year-old boy. Thought I would have more impact. The psychic said I'd be richer. She would be richer if she stopped blowing her money on psychics. Here's a six-word summary of some people in the Bible. And I'm going to read the summary, and I want you to shout out who the person is. Hated the rain, loved the rainbow. Got it. Burning bush. Stone tablets, Charlton Heston. You got it. No. Storm. Overboard. Fish puke. Yes. Yes. Manger. Pain. Joy. Cross. Pain. Joy. Mary or Jesus. Eye candy. Mordecai handy. Israel dandy. Esther. Good. Some of you got that one. Bad. Sad. Dad glad. Brother mad. Prodigal son. Yeah. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? And I would guess for all of us, no matter what our dream is, the title of that book could apply. Not quite what I was planning. And we're going to look at a person in the Bible today whose life, six words, could be summarized like this. Dream, spoiled, prison, promotion, save world. We're going to look at the Old Testament person of Joseph. And one of the things I so appreciate about the Bible is that the people in it are like you and me. There's people who, the Bible is not an example of people who live, you know, moral and upright lives and they just keep their lives moving up and to the right. And if we do the same, we could end up with the six word title called just exactly what I, the way I planned it. And Joseph was driven by his dream. I want to talk about four qualities of our dreams. And here's the first one. The best dreams come from God. We meet Joseph as a 17-year-old teenager in Genesis 37. He's the 11th son of Jacob. And the first thing the Bible says about him is that he brought to his father a bad report about his brothers. And the word bad report isn't just he's being a tattletale. He's making stuff up. He's lying. He's manipulating. And the next thing it says about him is that his father Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other 
brothers. On Christmas, the 11 brothers got socks and underwear. And Joseph opens this package and it's this beautiful, ornate, regal, royal coat. And you can imagine the impact of that on the brothers. In verse 11, it says, they hated him and could not speak a single kind word to him. And then right in the middle of this powder cake of an extremely unhealthy family system, Joseph has a dream from God. And he can't wait to brag about it to his brothers. And here's the dream. It's on the screen. It's on your program notes. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, you, you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they what? Hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. And oftentimes to confirm something, God does it a second time. Joseph has a second dream. It's a little bigger. And he gets his brothers and his parents together and he tells them the dream. I can't believe it, he said. I'm a star. And your stars, all 11 of you, and the sun and the moon, mom and dad, you bowed down to me. Dear old dad, he ain't gonna hear it. He says he rebukes him, which is, you know, when your parent leans over the seat and you're messing around in the back seat, what do they do? They rebuke you. That's what they do. But there's a little crack in Jacob's resolve because in verse 11, it says, Jacob kept this matter in mind. He knew there was more to Joseph's dream than teenage arrogance and bluster. Jacob remembers that God had made a promise to his father, grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac and has come to him, which he's gonna pass on. And the promise is this, that God is going to put together and raise up a great family, a great nation. And God is gonna be with that family in a special way. And because of that community and that nation, they're going to, they're gonna bless the world, the entire world through this family. That's part of the dream. And the brothers looked at this dream from God and said to Joseph, that's stupid. And the culture looked at his dream from God and concluded, that's ridiculous. And Jacob, the dad, in a culture, in a family where no parent ever, ever bows down to any son, says that there is no way in Canaan that that dream is going to come true. But like Mary, he treasured these things in his heart. What's your dream? Does it come from God? Does it align with God's desire and design for us? Maybe our dreams are too closely aligned with, with the American dream, with your parents' dream with your spouses, your kids, your bosses, your retirement dream? How do we know if our dreams align with God's dream? Here's how we can know. Dallas Willard writes this, the aim, the dream of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And I found four litmus tests to know 
if our dreams align with God's. I got them in a book called Counterfeit Gods. Here's litmus test number one, the imagination test. What do you enjoy daydreaming about? When your mind is at rest, what do you think about? When you're sitting on the couch, scrolling through your device, what are you, what are you thinking about? Do you develop scenarios around career advancement or material goods, like that dream home, that next purchase, that car, that vacation, or a particular relationship? You know, one of, one or two of those kinds of dreams is normal. But if our imagination is fixated on those kinds of things that only bring us pleasure, then our dreams aren't aligned. There's the unanswered prayer test. When God doesn't, when we, we pray about our dream, but when God doesn't come through in the time or how we wanted God through, come to, to come through, do we turn away because he didn't give us what we wanted? There's the money test. Our money flows towards our dreams. Simple as that. There's the emotions test. Look at our most uncontrollable emotions, especially those emotions that don't seem to lead any place good or drive us to say or do things that we know are wrong. If you're angry or jealous, ask yourself, is there something here that I must have and I must get, and if I don't get it, I'm just gonna get mad. It might be too important. Or what do you worry or get discouraged or depressed about? Just pulls you down. You might need to ask, What's, what, is that, what is that dream I have that's just tugging at me that might not align with God's dream? Or if you're down on yourself because of a, failure or a loss or we're driving ourselves frantically working frantically be busy I think we have to ask ourselves what's underneath what's lurking under there because God doesn't want me to experience all of those uncontrollable emotions what's under there that might not align with God's dream but if if we daydream about our work our education, our future, our relationships because of the joy and goodness they're gonna bring to others, our dream is aligned. If our dream for our money involves helping and assisting others, we're aligned. If we keep on praying and trusting God, even when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, our trust is in God and not in the things that we're asking God to do. When we use our anger, worry, guilt, frustration, or discouragement to draw us closer to God, then God has an opportunity in our lives to transform us. We're, we can be aligned even when our emotions draw us to places that aren't, aren't very happy. When Jesus has taken title to my heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, resources, service, joy, hope, and delight, then I can rest assured. My dreams are aligned with God's. Here's number two, quality of dreams. We grow into our dreams. God's put, God puts this audacious dream into a 17-year-old kid who is completely unprepared or, and ill-equipped to handle it. The dream is too big for his pants. 
I can't think of a single time in the Bible where God puts a dream in a person where that person says, huh, I was just waiting, I'm ready for this. No, usually the answer is the opposite. Moses goes, I'm too ineloquent. And since he didn't know what the word ineloquent meant, he says, I don't talk good. (laughs) Jeremiah, I'm too young. Esther, it's too risky. Isaiah, I'm too flawed. Paul, I'm too religious. A rich young man, I have too much money. Joseph is too insecure. He's so desperate to be somebody, so hungry for the affirmation and acceptance of his brothers. And even his father's doting on him wasn't enough. So he flaunts this dream in front of them. And it brings him torpedo after torpedo of trouble. But God picks Joseph anyway. Because God is gonna shape Joseph's character and develop his gifts and abilities into the kind of person and leader where multiple nations are gonna benefit. The dream actually saves Joseph's life. I mean, what happens to young women and men who grew up in families where there's extreme favoritism, entitlement, too much popularity, too much money, too fast, sibling abuse? They often implode. Elvis Presley... Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Kareem Hunt, Kate Spade. I mean, let's face it. None of us are ever ready for the dream God puts into us. Even the dreams that come from him. You ever dream about having your first driver's license? Were you ready? I I was 16. I'm driving in the traffic in downtown Cheyenne. There were, you're going, Dennis, it's Wyoming. There were three cars. Actually, there was a pickup, a car, and a van. There was three. And I pull out from a green light, and I'm a 16-year-old kid in a hot pickup. And this car gets ahead of me. No, I'm not going to let that happen. I floor it and whip right past that car and right through the next red light. And I smash into a van that careens over and tips over. I roll the van in downtown Cheyenne. The driver was fine. I was fined. Reckless driving. Was I ready for my driver's license? Were you? Oftentimes the dream, we're not ready for it. Were you ready for your dream of getting married? You're going, I was, but my spouse sure wasn't. Were you ready for your first freshman year? Your first child? Your first job? Your dream promotion? Your first date? Your first leadership role? Your first crossroads small group meeting? Your first step toward God. You see, God never puts a dream in someone who's ready for it because he wants us to grow into them. God gives dreams on a ready or not basis. If you wait to pursue your dream until you're ready, you're gonna die first. You'll never move. Jesus doesn't say to his friends, go, you're ready. He says, go, I'll be with you. What's a dream that you have? that you believe is from God, that you haven't pursued because you just don't feel ready. We're afraid maybe to pursue that dream because it's gonna expose 
our weaknesses, our flaws, our insecurities, uncontrollable emotion. Well, duh. That's what God wants to help you us with. He wants to help us go. Th- that's how we develop, he develops our character is to work through that stuff so that our gifts and strengths can emerge through those and mature us all along the way. God's dream is to heal us from our addictions and our compassion compulsions, our anger, our jealousy, our insecurity, and our worry. And we go, we're not ready. That's okay. Ready or not, God says, I'll go with you. I'll go, I'll go with you when you come here on Friday night to celebrate recovery. I'll go with you to that counselor. I know you're not ready. That's the point. I'll go with you. Some of you this coming, this coming year is to have better friends, more friends, maybe get rid of some bad friends. We're not quite ready. God goes, ready or not, I'm with you. I'm with you, take that step, take that step, whatever it is. Ask somebody out, it's just lunch. You'll grow into it. Maybe part of your dream this year is, I'd love to heal a relationship. And you've got your phone and you've texted this numerous times, can we get together? And you're ready to hit send and you pause. Because you're going, I'm not, God goes, I'll go with you. I did that this week. I hit send. Or maybe it's at work. The job you're doing, you know, is not tapping your best potential. But it's comfortable. It's safe. It's secure. And maybe God wants you to say, God wants you to go, you know what? I've created you for more. This thing is, you've outgrown it. I'll go with you. Pick up the application. Do the interview. Make the phone call. I will move you into a place where you can be more effective. Start the business. I'll bet I've heard this 20 times since Christmas. People have said to me, Dennis, I need to get closer to God this year. I want to be more involved at Crossroads this year. I want to be more generous with my money. Ready or not? Take the next step. You've been coming once a month, make it twice. You've been giving 2%, make it four. You've never served on a team. One of the best ways to meet people here is to join a serving team. We have amazing people on our serving teams. One of the best, you go, I'd like to, we have a way. You can get on one. You've never started a small group Katie talked about. Never thought I could do. Next step, take that card, fill it out, pick up that packet. God says, I'll be with you as you grow into your dream. And we may begin to move in that direction. Number three, here's what happens. Our dreams will be severely tested. Joseph's was, his brothers tried to kill the dream by sheer meanness. And when they couldn't do that, they thought, let's kill the dreamer. They throw him to a pit where he screams for his life. And his brothers decide, you know what? We're not gonna kill him. We're gonna throw, we're gonna sell him to this band of passing traders who then resold him in Egypt to be a slave. Where he gets promoted as a slave. And because he wouldn't sleep with the boss's wife, he gets tossed into prison for two full years. And at that point, Joseph has been in Egypt for 13 years. And he's had choices All along the way, all those tests, he could have pouted, 
curled up in the corner of his cell. He could have said, forget it, I'm done. Everybody's abandoned me, including God. He could have blamed his family. If I'd have grown up in a better family, I wouldn't be here. He could have blamed his boss's wife, blamed the government, blamed the culture, blamed God, feel sorry for himself, and give in to despair. But Genesis 39, 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, even as a slave in a foreign culture. Then he gets thrown in prison, and it says in 39, 23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did when he was in prison. And then Joseph rises to power again, second in command, in the, right under the king, right under the Pharaoh of Egypt, because he didn't give in to despair. He put up with all that discouragement and all those setbacks, those days and years of confusion and disillusionment and hardship, because he began to finally understand that all that stuff happened to him to grow him up so he could grow into his dreams, so he could develop the practical skills he was going to need when he got to that position. One of the things he most needs, needed was humility. Henry Nouwen says it takes a lot of humiliation to create a little humility. Those of you who are laughing now know exactly what this means, and I'm laughing. I would expand that to say it takes a lot of adversity to grow a little character. Joseph is finally ready to maximize the gifts God had given him as a teenager. Gifts of leadership, administration, communication, dream interpretation, strategic planning, execution. And here's why these gifts were so effective is here. The size of his character caught up with the size of his dream. They're qualities of character that can only be developed through adversity. Humility, grit, resilience, wisdom, leadership. Most importantly, trusting God when we don't see what he's doing. The Pikes Peak verse of the whole Joseph story is chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph's brothers meet up with him in Egypt 22 years later. And when they discovered that this is the brother that they were gonna kill and sold into slavery, they're scared spitless. They do bow down to him and commit to being his slaves. But Joseph says, get up. I'm not God, that's what he says. They don't have anything to fear. And then he makes a statement that can only be said by someone who has experienced the hiddenness of God the great testing, the suffering, and the character that emerges from that, Joseph says this, you intended to harm me. God intended it for good. Someone said, life is lived forward, but understood backward. When adversity comes, severe adversity, we can say by faith, I have a God who doesn't create pride and the evil and the cruelty that you see here, but he uses it, he overwhelms it, And he overrules it. No matter what adversity your dream, your life is facing right now, you can rest assured of this. God is shaping you through it and in it when we respond to him and stay connected to him even when we don't feel him or see him or understand what's going on.
And when our dreams come from God and we grow into them and we allow adversity to shape our character, here's the fourth thing that's gonna happen. Our dreams will save lives. Why does God give this ridiculous dream to this 17-year-old kid to save his life from self-destruction? Why does God arrange to have Joseph sold into slavery instead of being killed by his brothers to save his brothers' lives? Can you imagine having to live with the fact that you murdered your little brother because he was being a selfish brat? What would that do to your soul, your heart over the next 10, 20, 30 years if in the back of your mind you know you were a part of that? Why does God allow Joseph to be this Egyptian yo-yo? Slave, leader among slaves, household commander, prison, second in command in the entire country? Why does he allow this yo-yo thing to happen? Because God can see down the pike of history and he knows that in this part of the world there's gonna be this famine this international famine. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people could die, including Jacob, all of his sons, and Joseph. God knows that it's coming down the pike. And God says, I'm gonna need a man. I'm gonna need a person, a leader with the acumen and the leadership skill and the relational skill and the humility to be able to provide, not for their own comfort, but for the needs of the world. And so he takes this young kid and he says, I'm gonna give you this dream and you're gonna grow into it because Egypt is the only country in this part of the world that has the labor force and the resources to grow enough grain to feed the entire world, the known world in that day when the famine comes. And Joseph brings this guy in from the outside and he raises up and he grows him up through great testing and he grows his character so that when the famine comes, the country and Joseph and the world is staged so that people and thousands of people would not die. And here's why. God cares for everybody. God loves everybody. He doesn't want anybody to die, anybody to perish and in Genesis 41, 57, it says, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from whom? From this Hebrew slave who now was a leader who could feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people because God, he grew into God's dream for him. You see, God made a promise decades before that he's gonna bless the world through a man, through his family, through a people, through a 17-year-old kid who had to lose his life to save it. Not for himself. All that bowing down in that dream wasn't for him. It was so that the world could be saved. And when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy grain and Joseph reveals his identity to them, they're thinking this guy could kill us for what we did. And Joseph says this in Genesis 45. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph's dream that came from God came true because God put him there. And he finally Joseph finally understood that this is, this is the point of the dream. It's the point of my life to save all these lives. God's put you right where you are, 
right now to save lives. He has. You believe it? You're going to live into that? If it's not, your dreams are too small. They are. Our lives are going to take on joy and significance and meaning when we get into God's life-saving mission and dream. There are people in our world, some people in our community, that are starving for food, literally. And whenever we participate in our food drive or we support a kid through World Vision or we give money to an international microfinancing team, we're helping people have food and grow food and live. There are people in our community, in our church, in our world who are starving for relationship. And every study ever done on relationships confirms this. Loneliness kills. Read an article this week. They call it an epidemic of loneliness among seniors. And even though our social media engagement and connectivity is is increasing, all the research says that as your media consumption, social media consumption goes up, the loneliness factor goes with it. The Atlantic Monthly Quote, we have never been lonelier and that this loneliness is making us mentally and physically ill. And we have opportunities every week to reach out to someone who is starving for human connectivity. That kid, that person at work that always sits by herself, himself, we have an opportunity to go over, sit down. Hey, let's have lunch. Can I eat with you? We have opportunity here every weekend. There are people here right now. You've come here because you're lonely. You want to connect with a person. Whenever we reach out and say hello, or whenever you might be the one that needs to take the step for your loneliness, something you could do to save your life. You have a lonely neighbor. Take him a plate of cookies. Say, hello, I just made some of these. I had some extra. Love you to have some. Joseph wasn't a pastor or a small group leader, probably never led a Bible study. He was gifted for business. He employed people. He put people to work. He managed and organized and led people, which brought about great good. I thought the other day, when all those countries come streaming to Egypt to get grain, all those Egyptians that are running the shovels to get the grain, and those people, those people that came starved and desperate, and they go away with that grain, I thought, think of the significance of the person who's running the shovel. And think of the person that's overseeing the people who are running the shovels. And think of the people who are overseeing the people who are overseeing the people who run the shovels. That might be you. Man or woman, you have a business. And you're creating great good. You're employing people with significant work. And it's doing great good. Meaningful. It's part of God's dream. Someone is in your life whose relationship needs saving. Relationship with a friend, a marriage, a young parent, single parent that's, that's overwhelmed with parenting, or a young couple that's struggling. They've been married a year. They thought they knew what they were getting into, ready or not. You know how that goes. Or a parent that's struggling with a teenage crisis. They just need a wide per, wise person to come along inside. Tell me what's going on. I'll walk with you. I'll be with you. You don't have to be a football field ahead to help somebody. You just need to be a step ahead. Just reach back and go, come on. You can do it. 
can keep up and we can help save marriages and lives and relationships. We can be involved in that because that's, that's God's dream. All of us have people in our lives who seem to be disconnected from God and we're tempted to give up on them. We've invited, we've talked, we've loved, all of that, and they just seem to be disinterested. God is not disinterested in your friends or mine. He is as passionately in pursuit of them as he ever has been. And if my pursuit lags or flags, God says, come with me. I'll go with you. Keep praying for that neighbor. Keep inviting them over for dinner. You never know. It might take 22 years like it took for Joseph to be ready for this moment. We're a church that's in the life-saving business. I've had people, you've heard people tell stories from right here where they've said, this church honestly saved my life, literally. I was, I was on a fast track to end my life. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna give God one more try. I'm gonna give God... And, and maybe the best place to meet God is at that church over there on the corner of 57th and Taft. And they walked in here one day and they walked out a different person. I like to think it might be because of something that's happened up here when maybe that wasn't it at all. It was something that happened out here or out there or out in the parking lot or down the kids' hall or out in the student because you save lives. How? Here's how. Hi, I'm glad you're here. Hi, welcome to Crossroads. And you look them in the eye and you let them know you saw them. You saw that person. And maybe that's all it would need to save that person's life is you and you and you and you and me just noticing them. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning. And when, when we get involved, when our lives align with God's dream, we get to get in on it. You and 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 me. We get in on God's dream. And when we do, it's not just God's dream come true. It's our dream come true. On the end of your message notes, I've left us six blanks. And I want you to, as your weekly assignment, uh, what are the six words that summarize your dream at this point, your life? I want you to take a look at that. Be thoughtful about it. Share them with somebody. Have coffee with a friend. Have them do it. Be fun. Take it to your small group. What are your six words? You want to know what mine are? If you know me, you know that's true. Here they are. Loves fishing for people and fish. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You've put us here, given us breath and life to make a difference. And your dream involves us, but it doesn't end with us. You've pulled us into this promise that you gave when you started this whole human experiment and when we get in on it when we live into it when we face adversity to pursue it we grow people grow there's goodness and joy and delight at the end of this life and even more in the next so God I'm just going to pray for everybody here 
everybody watching, everybody listening, that you would let us have a glimpse of our part of that dream of saving lives this week. And when we see it, we'll go, thank God. Thank God. Amen.